Well, like in weeks past, we are going to be in Romans chapter 8, if you guys want to go ahead and open your Bibles as we get there. Um, I'm going to start off this morning talking about something that I've never talked about in church before, and that is zombies. Um, We live in an interesting time in our culture uh, where there is a little bit of a fascination with zombies culturally, and it, it kind of started out as vampires. If any of you are into the, the whole like twilight thing, but somehow the vampire thing like morphed into like this zombie thing. And so now uh, it's hard to turn the TV on or, or whatever and not like see anything about zombies. And I, I think that's kind of interesting, but uh, to the point where there are a lot of different television shows on these days about zombies. And in fact, uh, there is one that is very popular called The Walking Dead. And The Walking Dead is the number one show on television um, for males and females ages 18 to 49. Number one show on TV for males and females ages 18 to 49, and followed at a distant second by Sunday Night Football. And so you can tell that there are a lot of people who are plugging into this Uh, every week. And it's kind of an interesting thing. You don't even have to watch The Walking Dead on Sunday night to know what's going on on The Walking Dead. All that you have to do is get on Facebook and everybody's going to tell you who died that week. Um, So everybody is kind of engaged in this thing culturally. And I'm kind of wondering like, why? Like, why are we so fascinated by The Walking Dead, by these things that are walking around seeming like they're alive, but in fact, they're dead. And I have to ask the question, If maybe, and this is going to seem strange, but maybe it's because we see a little bit of ourselves in them. Now, your response to that is going to be, how? Like, I don't see myself as a zombie. That's a really weird thing to say. But if we look at Romans 8 and what we've studied so far, then I think that we're going to find out that, in fact, much of our culture And maybe some of us in this room this morning aren't different at all from the zombies that we see on television. If you look in verse 6 of Romans chapter 8, it says this, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. And so Romans 8, Paul is telling us that if our minds are set on flesh and on fleshly things and on worldly things, then in fact we are dead. We are dead. The Bible tells us that we are lost, we are dead in our trespasses, that we are dead in our sins. But yet you look around at culture and what do you see? You see life. You see people who have jobs, you see people who have hobbies, you see people who have families, and we look around at all these things and we think that we see what is life around us, but when it comes down to it, in a real kind of sense, according to scripture, it only looks like life. And in fact, it's people who are dressed up and looking like they're living, but are dead on the inside. And what I think is so interesting about that is so often as Christians, like we desire what they have. We think that that life is great and that we have to give up some of those things in order to follow Jesus. But we're desiring something that just looks like life when we're offered real life. It goes even further in verse 8. Romans 8, it says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That if we are in the flesh and if we're a part of this culture of death, that there is nothing that we can do to please God. 
So then where do we stand? What do we do? What is the difference maker for us as people set apart by God as believers? How are we different? This is what I want us to dig into this morning in Romans chapter 8 to see exactly what it is that makes us different. But before we do that, if you guys don't mind, uh, let's pray for a second. God, we are grateful that so many of us were stuck in what we see around us constantly, and that is death. That our own sins and our own decisions and our own bad choices placed us in this place where there was nothing that we could do to save ourselves. But God, you have offered us life, and I pray for everyone in the room this morning, and myself included, that as we dig into your word, God, that it would be illuminating to us, that it would be life-giving to us, and that your spirit would come, would convict us of our sin, and, and, and show us the fact that we have death in us, and make us desire to be made alive through Jesus. Lord, I know that even this morning earlier, that there was a team of people who were praying for everyone in this room this morning, and God, we just pray now that your spirit would come and convict us that even if we may be believers and we may be following you, Lord, that we would become more in tune with your spirit and allow your spirit more and more to do the work that he desires to do in our lives. God, we love you. I pray that our hearts are open to your truth and, Lord, that we would have no fear in responding and acting on the way uh, that you would have us to act. We love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So I want us to read. We're going to pick up in verse 9 of Romans chapter 8. Just three verses this week. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. And here's what it says. Paul says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And so as we're looking at this passage, what we're finding out is that, yes, we were stuck in death, but thankfully... If Christ is in us, in us and if Christ has made the difference in our lives, then we have the Holy Spirit in our lives who is giving us life and giving us hope and ultimately continuing to work to save us. And so I know any time that we talk about the Holy Spirit, we like to be really clear kind of about who the Holy Spirit is. And so uh, we did a series on the Spirit of God a, a few years ago called Acts of the Spirit. And you can go to our website and listen to it. It's kind of a broad picture of what uh, the Holy Spirit did through the book of Acts. Um, But I want to give you a little bit of a summary this morning of where we see the Holy Spirit showing up in really important places in Scripture, kind of leading up to this. And so I've got a timeline that we're going to put up on the screen to help you kind of walk through this. And the first place that we see the Holy Spirit show up in Scripture is Genesis 1, verse 2. Now, a lot of us know Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So we have this idea, but in Genesis 1, the very next verse in verse 2, we find out that the Spirit of God was moving over the face of the waters. And so even at the very beginning, in the moment of 
creation happening, the Holy Spirit is there and is active and is involved in what is happening. Fast forward a little bit to 1 Samuel, looking at the life of David. And what the Bible tells us is that the Spirit of the Lord was with David. The Spirit of the Lord was with King David. And so even as we look back into the Old Testament, we see that God's Spirit was with his people. Moving into the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, we find out that Jesus himself was conceived by the Holy Spirit. That Mary conceived by the Holy Spirit and gave birth to Jesus. And then in Matthew 3, at the moment of Jesus' baptism, what it says is that the Spirit of God rested on Jesus in his baptism. In the ministry of Jesus in John 14, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples and he's talking about his death that's coming up. And what he tells them is that another counselor is coming, that there would be someone else coming for them. And then in John 16, verse 7, Jesus even goes so far as to say, listen, guys, it is to your advantage that I go away so that the Holy Spirit can come. That's a massive statement because a lot of us sometimes in our faith would say, well, if Jesus was just here, if I could just touch him, if I could just see the nails that are in his hands, then my faith, like that's something I could really hold on to and it would change the way that I live. But what Jesus tells his disciples who spent time with him is that, guys, it's to your advantage that I leave so that the Spirit of God can come. Jesus knew he could only be with one or one group of them at a time. But that when the Spirit came, that the Spirit was going to be able to be with all believers at all times. In Acts chapter 1, after Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus tells his disciples to stay in Jerusalem and wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts chapter 2, there were 120 believers who were gathered together on the day of Pentecost. And what the Bible says is there was this sound like a mighty rushing wind, not a mighty rushing wind, but a sound like a mighty rushing wind that came through the room. And what looked like tongues or pillars of fire rested on all the believers who were there. And what Scripture says is that they were each filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they began speaking in tongues. And it's not the kind of speaking in tongues that a lot of us think about that's, that we're not really sure what's happening. But what Scripture tells us in that day is they're in Jerusalem. And there are people wandering in Jerusalem on this day uh, from a lot of different places and a lot of different uh, a lot of different cultures who spoke different languages. And what's neat about the things that the, the believers were saying that day is that everyone who was there, no matter what country that they were from, were able to understand what they were saying in their own language, even though they weren't speaking in their language. And so God's Spirit was doing something miraculous and doing something huge on this day. And it's this defining moment in the life of the church where Jesus told his disciples Listen, this is going to be better. And then he tells them, wait for this moment. Stay here. Don't go anywhere. And the Spirit of God comes, and it's this big, huge thing that happens in the life of the church. And so as we move forward to Romans 8, then it's important for us to, knowing the history and knowing what has happened with the Spirit, to say, okay, I get that. But what's the Spirit doing now? And what does this mean for me today? here in Cane Bay and Charleston and Somerville in my daily life, what does it mean? 
And what we find out from Romans 8, 9 through 11, it says over and over and over again that the Spirit dwells in us. The Spirit of God is dwelling in us. And what I find fascinating about this passage is that if you read verses 1 through 8, you can look at it for yourself, but Paul's kind of going through like all these theological truths and concepts and He's just like, it's like he's standing up in front of a class and he's teaching and he's like, all right, here are the notes, here are the things that you need to know. But when he gets to verse nine, something changes. And he starts off verse nine and he says, but you, however, he never points out that he's writing to anyone. He's just teaching truth in verse eight up to this point. But here, it's like he's standing in front of them and he's teaching something and all of a sudden he stops mid-thought because he wants to make sure that they understand that what he's talking about matters to their lives. It matters to them individually. And so what he says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Paul is saying, if you believe in Jesus and you're following Jesus, I know that you're hearing all of this sad stuff about death, but guess what? If the spirit of God is in you, you have life. And that is something to have great joy and hope and to be excited about. He wants them to know, listen, it is not what you've done, but it's what the Spirit is doing in you. And the Spirit of God is dwelling in you. He is active. His work is ongoing, and His work is life-giving to your life. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? We have the Spirit of God dwelling in us. Another term that we see this kind of said uh, throughout the New Testament is this term of like filling, that you are filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to give you a few examples of this. I know we've already kind of walked through a timeline, but here's a few examples where we see this idea of being filled with the Spirit uh, throughout Scripture. In the book of Exodus, there's a guy named Bezalel, and Bezalel was one of the guys who was designing all this really cool artsy stuff for the tabernacle that was being built for God's people. And what Moses said about Bezalel is that Bezalel was filled with the Spirit. We've already read in Acts 2 that all who were present there that day were filled with the Spirit. A little later in Acts chapter 4, um, verse 8, Peter is standing in front of a council after he's been arrested and he's kind of defending the faith. And what it says about Peter in that day is that Peter was filled with the Spirit. In Acts chapter 6, the church is gathered together and they're choosing deacons or servants for the first time. And what it says about the men who were chosen is that they were filled with the Spirit. Acts chapter 7 is a story about a guy named Stephen uh, who was stoned and he was put to death for his faith. And what it says about Stephen at the moment of his death is that Stephen was filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 tells us, Do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And so as believers, we have this great hope and joy that not only is the Spirit of God dwelling in us, but that we can be filled with the Spirit. And being filled with something affects what we do. It affects who we are. I mean, think about it. If you fill yourself with alcohol, it's going to change the way that you act. It's going to change the things that you do. If you fill yourself with food, you're going to get a stomachache. Some of my favorite videos to watch are when parents like are bringing their kids home from getting their wisdom teeth taken out, you know, and they've got the phone out and they're filming their kids who are just saying like ridiculous things. 
Like when you are doped up like that and filled with something, it affects the things that you say. I remember when I was coming home from getting my wisdom teeth taken out, I vividly still remember seeing pink elephants on the side of the road. Like it affects, when you're filled with something, it affects the way that we act and the way that we respond. So being filled with the Spirit should do the same thing. It should make a difference in our lives and make a difference in our actions and the things that we do. And the flip side of this is if we're not filled with something, then it means that we're empty. And I think that we've all certainly felt empty at times. We're exhausted and hopeless and joyless. But if we have God's Spirit, guys, there's no reason for us to be in that position when we have the opportunity to be filled. What do we tend to do with something that's empty? We fill it up. And sadly, a lot of us are filling up our lives with other things when we need to be filled by the Spirit. I don't know what it is that you fill yourself with sometimes to get by. Medication or, or, or food, and sometimes it's even good things like our, our family or our job that just we just let them consume us so that we can push through and get through. But for us as believers, we need to be allowing the Spirit to have the room to work. And so what does that mean for us? I, th- I think we see three things in this passage really, about what it means to be filled or to have the Spirit dwelling in us. The first one in verse 9 is an idea of belonging. Again, it says, You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. If the Spirit is in us, we belong. We're a part of something. We're a part of a family. And otherwise, if the Spirit is, isn't in us, then what we see in Scripture is that we don't belong, that we're not a part of something. And David's going to be talking about this a little more next week, but I think that we need to have just kind of an important realization of what it means to be a part of a family, what it means to be a part of the family of God. And I think we can all admit that relationships are really important. And we all have people in our lives that we consider to be our people, whether that's our family, our friends, maybe it's your missional community. But we would say of these people that we belong to them, that we are a part of a community. They're the people that we text when things are going on. They're the people that always like and comment on our our Facebook post. Like these are people who we belong to. They are a community that comes around us. The good news of all of this is that if the Spirit of God is living in us, then we belong to Christ in the same way, that He is there for us, and that we are a part of His family, and we have this connection with Him uh, that that is ongoing. That's a great hope because we're never alone. And I say that, and I realize that a lot of us say, well, it's really easy to say you're never alone, but in reality, sometimes it doesn't, it doesn't feel that way. I know for me, when I lost my dad a couple of years ago, I kind of, I think it's natural, went through a period where I felt alone. And sometimes that feeling pops back up. In fact, last night I had a dream, and uh, I was with my parents when I was younger, and we were moving somewhere, but I just, I vividly remember having a conversation with my dad in that dream, and I woke up this morning, and 
I, I thought back to that dream, and as soon as I thought back to my dream, the first thing that I thought about is that my dad was alive in that dream. And that feeling hit. And we have moments where it's easy for us to feel alone. But you know what I took comfort in in that moment? Is the fact that I'm never alone. That even though I miss my dad, that the Spirit of God is with me. And that I don't have to feel lonely. And in fact, if I do feel lonely, it's, it's a false feeling because I'm not alone. Even in our darkest and quietest moments, God's Spirit is with us, and that's something that we can take hope in. Second thing we see in verse 10 is this idea of life or being alive. It says, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If Christ is in you, then the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Remember what we talked about earlier. Our bodies are dead. Our flesh is dead. We may look like we're alive, but every heartbeat is one step closer to death. What Paul does here in verse 10 uh, is he uses an if-then statement, and I was an English major, so I kind of geek out about these things. But what Paul said was, if Christ is in you, then the Spirit of God is life. And an if-then statement basically says that if one thing is true, then another thing will be true as well. And so Paul is tying together this, this tie between knowing Jesus and believing in Jesus. And if that is true, if Christ is in you, then the Spirit is life for you. You can't separate the two things. If you've given your life to Jesus, then you have life through the Spirit. It's there. There's nothing you can do to make those things come apart. And that idea of if Christ is in you is this idea, the theological term for it is justification. And we, we've seen kind of earlier in verse 3 in this chapter, it says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. And what justification is, is basically it is God condemning our sin and putting our sin to death and then God making us righteous through Christ. That God brings us up to this standard of meeting the righteous requirement of the law. We see that terminology in, here in Romans 8. That God brings us up to that standard through Christ. And ultimately, Jesus makes us right in the eyes of God. And so if we've done that, God has forgiven our sin, and through Christ, he's made us right or righteous in his eyes. Then the Spirit is life in you. And what this is called is sanctification. This is the work of the Spirit to save us. And sanctification is a little different from justification. When Jesus died on the cross for our sins, Jesus died once for all, for every person, for all time. He never has to die again. It was one work, and through that one work, we have been justified. And the Spirit's work is different because it's ongoing. It keeps going. It doesn't stop, but it's this constant movement. It doesn't say in the Bible that the Spirit of God dwelled in us. It says that the Spirit of God dwells in us. And then he's working to constantly set us free from sin and to make us more like Jesus. And that is his ongoing work of sanctification. That's the way that he gives us life is that he helps us practically 
to stop sinning, to put sin behind us, and to move forward to be more like Jesus in the way that we live. That's sanctification. I'm talking about my dad. One of my best memories with my dad is when I was a kid, we went on a a two-week vacation together, just the two of us, and we went camping. We had a little pop-up camper, and so We hopped in the minivan and pulled the pop-up camper behind us, and we went up to, like, Washington, D.C. and Virginia and kind of looked at a lot of different American history sites and uh, had a great time. I I think that that trip was the most time that I'd ever spent with anyone one-on-one the whole time, like, until I got married. And so having just that one-on-one time with my dad for two weeks really cemented a lot of things in my heart because we got to talk a lot about the gospel. We got to talk a lot about the love of God. And so those conversations cemented my belief and my love for Jesus, and they helped shape the person that I was growing to be. And when I think about the influence of my parents, I kind of think about that, that the discipline that parents give to their kids and the encouragement that they give to their kids is a lot like the work of the Holy Spirit. That it's not just the moment of of birth that sets the course for our lives, but it's the ongoing work that our parents do that helps us to grow and to be um, people who can follow after God. And this is what the Spirit does, certainly in a much deeper way. But we are justified by the work of Jesus, and then the Spirit is the one who helps us to grow to be more like Him every day by giving us life as we live constantly investing, constantly pouring life into us. How do you know that something is alive? If you look in the plant world, it's because it's bearing fruit. It's growing flowers. Truthfully, it's no different from us. If you look in Galatians chapter 5, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Where basically there are these things that as a believer testify to the fact that we have life through the Spirit of God. And what it says is that they're love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And that we can look at the fruit of the Spirit and see if those things are in my life. I may not have them down yet. I may not be perfect in them. But if I'm growing in them, then it's likely that the Spirit of God is in me. But if I can look at those fruit and say, no, that's not me. That's a really good test for us as to whether the Spirit is living in us at all. I think one of the best ways for the Spirit to give us life is to give Him the room to do it. It's to open up the Word of God on a daily basis and say, talk to me, speak to me, I want to hear from you. And I know we talk a lot about daily quiet times and it's kind of like this like, Christian like code word thing and a lot of people talk about it but not a lot of people actually do it in reality think about your life how often during the week are you sitting down and opening up the word of God because it's the spirit's job to illuminate scripture to you it's the spirit's job to use the word of God to give life into you and if we're not giving him the opportunity to do it We're missing out on what the Spirit wants to do in us. And yet at the same time, we're walking around and we're complaining about everything that's going wrong in our lives. We're complaining because we're lonely. We're complaining because we feel empty, because we don't have strength, because we can't persevere through whatever situation is going on right now. And the Spirit of God saying, it's right here. 
I want you to know, I want you to have life if you'll just let me invest it in you. It's one of the reasons we talk about soap all the time. And soap is this way that we can journal through God's word and allow it to come to life. Allow the Spirit to speak to us and find things about our lives that need to change. But we've got to give the Spirit of God room. Lastly, verse 11, there's this idea of immortality. It says that the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So there's this idea of in the flesh we are, we are mortal But if the spirit is in us and the spirit makes us immortal, now that's kind of a cool word and a lot of us want to walk around and say, yeah, I'm immortal. Check me out. Like I have this immortality going on in me. But this idea of immortality is basically kind of what we see in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Not just life now, but life that is to come. What's great about life to come is that it gives us hope. It gives us a hope for the future. It gives us something to hang on to in the times that are dark. Romans 15, 13 describes God as the God of hope. And one of the greatest gifts that God can give to us as believers now is hope because it affects our life now. If we have hope for what is to come, then it makes the stuff that we walk through now easier because we know what's coming in the future. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be depressed. We can hang on to the hope that he gives to us. Um, My last semester of seminary, I took uh, kind of the preaching lab class, and uh, I did that. I waited till my last semester for a lot of reasons. One was because I wanted to make sure I had, like, the most knowledge of Scripture before I got up and had to teach it in front of, like, a professor, (laughs) And number two, and probably the biggest reason, is that I'm an introvert, and it scared me to death. And so I waited until the very last minute, and I got to that point, and I'm like, all right, I got to take this class. And here's what happens in this, and just kind of feel this pressure with me a little bit, okay? So you're in this class, and your job is to get up and preach a passage of Scripture that you've worked through and that you've prepared in front of the other 30 guys in your class, Now, every one of those 30 guys has a piece of paper that is a form that they fill out the whole time about your sermon, and then you get those things. And so you're being rated by 30 people in your class, so that's a little bit of pressure. Um, After you get done, your professor stands up and he says, all right, guys, let's talk about how Joel did. And so you have to listen to your whole class talking about how you either bombed or you did okay or whatever it is. And so that's a little bit of pressure. And so I was nervous about this, and and, uh, it came to be the night before, and I'm trying to hang on to hope, and I got an email from my professor, and uh, he said, um, hey guys, I just want to let you know that um, Dr. Aiken is going to be sitting in on our preaching lab tomorrow now. If you're not in the theological world, then you may not know Danny Aiken, but he's the president of Southeastern Seminary, where I went to school, Um, probably one of the kind of foremost theologians of our day, and literally the best preacher of the Word of God that I've ever heard in my life. And so that, I can't even tell you what my heart did when I got that email. And I'm like, I'm going to blow it in front of the president of my seminary, like he's going to be in this room. But what I did is 
I held on to hope because I knew if I can get through this, I'm graduating. I'm going to have my degree. I can go and get my job. Like, I just have to get through this. I knew the hope that was to come. And so I held on to that hope and I prayed to God. God gave me the strength and I did it and it didn't go that bad. And nobody told me that I was awful. But hope is a powerful thing. If we can hang on, <coughs> excuse me, hang on to hope for the future, it affects our life now. I love what C.S. Lewis says, kind of looking to the future of our eternal life to come. And he says, hope means a continual looking forward to an eternal world. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. But it's since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they've become so ineffective in this one. Aim at heaven, and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you'll get neither. The Spirit of God is giving us the hope that is to come if we can just hang on to it. And if we do, we don't have to be afraid of the decisions that have to be made right now. We don't have to be scared of whether we can provide for our family or what we're going to be doing in in a month or, or two months because we know that in the end, all will be well because of our hope. And so I want us to ask a question this morning, and, and I've been reflecting on this question myself this week, and it's been incredibly challenging for me, but here it is. Is your Christianity a set of beliefs, or is it a life-giving, hope-filled relationship? Is your Christianity a set of beliefs, or is it a life-giving, hope-filled relationship. The difference between those two things is the Holy Spirit. If the Spirit of God is in you, then you are finding hope and life and joy and everything that you need to persevere through every situation through Him. As I reflected on that for myself, I realized that oftentimes for me, I focus on the beliefs and I forget about the Spirit. I forget about the power and the abundance that lays within me so often. Bottom line this morning is that the Spirit of God is the life in you. Remember, Paul is making this about you. And it's not just that the Holy Spirit lives in Christians, but it's that the Holy Spirit lives in this Christian. The Holy Spirit lives in you. And all the fulfillment that you could need for life, all the belonging, all the life that you could ever need, and all the hope that we have to have to persevere through whatever difficult thing we're walking through right now, we can have through the Spirit if we give Him the room to work in our hearts. And ultimately, what this means for us is that we can be people filled with joy. We can be people who aren't walking around like Charlie Brown all the time after he misses the football. But we can be people who are walking around with great joy and great hope. Can you imagine our church? If Church of Cane Bay was filled by a community of believers who really believed in this and tuned into this and were allowing the Spirit to produce life to produce joy and belonging and all of these things in our lives daily, how different our worship services would be. 
how different this room would feel right now, how different our singing would seem, how different our offerings would be, the looks on our faces as we sing to our God. Our neighborhood would be begging to know what is going on in us if we really allow the Spirit to do the work that He wants to do. We saw it in biblical times in the early church of people who let the Spirit move and who were filled with the Holy Spirit. It says that day after day, numbers were added to their numbers. People were giving their lives to Jesus because they wanted to know what was happening in the life of these people. Our missional communities would see people coming to faith all the time if all that we did was let the Spirit bring us to life. But sadly for us, so often, and me included, we're just not there. Instead, we walk around like the world, looking like we have life. And when they look at us and they're dead and see us who don't look like we have life, why would they want what we have? Why would they want to be like us? A lot of us this morning need to confess to God that we believe in him, but we don't know him. Bono, who's the lead singer of U2, and I wouldn't like, consider him to be one of the great theologians of our time necessarily, but he said this one time, and I think this is so true. He says, religion is what happens when the spirit leaves the building. Religion is what happens when the spirit leaves the the building. And sadly, so often a lot of us are living a life of religion. We're pretending Christianity. We look just like the world, death dressed up to look like it's alive. What scripture tells us about that is that God hates it. In Amos chapter 5, God is speaking to his people through the prophet Amos, and he's talking about their religion. He's talking about them coming to church and them giving money and and giving sacrifices and all these things that, that they do. And what God says is God says, I hate it. I despise it. I don't want anything to do with it. And the reason he says that is because he doesn't have the heart of his people What God wants more than anything is for us to open up our hearts and our lives to let the Spirit take us and give us life. Because without the Spirit, we're nothing more than zombies. So there's probably a few different kinds of people in the room this morning. One, you're a believer. You feel the Spirit of God working in your heart, convicting you, growing you. You see it happen on a consistent basis. You see that you're growing in the fruit of the Spirit. If that's you, praise God. Keep pressing in. Keep letting the Spirit do that work. But I'm afraid that a lot of us are probably falling more into the second camp. And it's people who believe in God. And yeah, we felt the Spirit at times. And we've seen Him do things. And we've seen a little bit of progression and and some of the fruit of the Spirit, but we still have these massive moments where we feel empty, where we feel lonely, where we feel depressed. We're not allowing the Spirit of God to do the work that He desires to do. And if that's you and you're losing out on the joy that the Spirit can bring this morning, today needs to be a day that you say, no more. 
I don't want to fill my life with all this stuff from the world and this culture of death, but I want to fill my heart with the Holy Spirit. I want to let the Spirit bring me life and bring me joy. And so I'm going to commit to spending time in God's Word daily. I'm going to commit to praying that the Spirit would work and would make me more like Jesus. Maybe there's a third type of person in here this morning, and hearing all of this about the Holy Spirit, what's clear to you is that the Spirit of God isn't in you. What Romans 8 tells us, that if the Spirit of God isn't in you, then you don't belong to Him. It's a hard thing to hear, but there's good news in the fact that today, all of that can be changed. That God desires nothing more than for you this morning to know Him, to know His forgiveness, to experience the goodness of what Christ has done for you in giving His life for you putting your sin to death and making you right in the eyes of God. And if what Romans 8 says is true, and it is, then if you accept that and receive that, then the Spirit of God will come and fill you and dwell in you and give you life and give you hope and give you joy if you just trust and believe. So in a few minutes, I'm going to be standing over here. The band can go ahead and come on up. We're going to move into a time of worship If you're in that boat and you want to experience the Spirit in your life, please come. I want nothing more than to talk to you and pray with you. Or maybe you're struggling this morning with saying, I just don't feel that hope and I don't feel that joy and I believe the Spirit's in me, but I'm not letting Him do the work that He needs to do. And this morning needs to be a time where we come before God, confess that to Him, and say, today is the difference. Today, I'm going to make the step. I'm going to get home. I'm going to open up the Word of God. I'm going to pray that the Spirit begins to work in my heart and give me life. And so if that's you, again, I'll be over there. Maybe you want to come here and pray as we sing and worship. Maybe you need to come as a family and say, we want to be a family led by the Spirit of God. But I think that today is a day that we ask ourselves the questions, have I felt the Spirit work? Am I just saying I believe in something or do I really have a relationship with God through the Holy Spirit that is life-giving and is filled with joy? Whatever it may be, don't let today go by. Let today be the day that you make that decision. Let's act now. Confess that to God and let Him work. Let's pray.